You are listening to the weekly podcast from Journey Christian Church. For more information about Journey, please check out our website at journeychristian.com. We are a community of fully devoted disciples of Jesus who reach out to love our neighbors, serve the hurting, and develop leaders for ministry. And so we're in this series, and it really a lot of it's inspiration from Mark Batterson's book called Please Sorry Thanks. And he's a pastor in uh, Washington, D.C., and just doing a great job, and so grateful for that. So there's really going to look at two different sides of a coin today. And the first one, when it comes to sorry, the first point I want to talk about is to be sorry. Notice I didn't say to say sorry, but to be sorry. And there is a difference, and we're going to unpack that. Lynn Johnson, I love what, what Lynn Johnson said. An apology is the super glue of life. It, recomp- it can repair just about anything. Isn't that good? And, and we believe that until we're in that situation. Then we listen to the enemy that wants to tell us otherwise. But the truth is it can repair just about anything. Now, I'm a dude. I have uh, dude friends and we hang out and do dude stuff. And so I can't speak for the rest of the world. Can't speak for ladies. I'm just talking about my friends and, and some of my buddies. And I just want to give you an illustration um, that may be something I've done, may not be something I've done. I'm not going to suggest that. But I want to give you an example of an apology. And then I'm going to ask you if, if you would think this would work. Okay. So, um, In this scenario, uh, the husband has done something wrong because the ladies never do anything wrong, okay? It's always the husband. I don't know how that works, but uh, so the husband does something wrong and he wants to apologize for it. So he goes to the wife and says, I'm sorry, which is, I think this is a great, great start, okay? Where are my men at? Like, we're there, like, we're pretty much over. If you could just say you're sorry. And then she says, for what? And it's like, whoa, whoa, what's with all the questions? Like, whoa, what's going on? Like, I just said, I'm sorry. And then she says, for what? And you're like, man, I I can't handle all these questions, okay? But luckily in your back pocket, you've prepared for such a question. And in your back pocket, you say, for everything. (laughs) Everything. Now, if you're a dude, you're like, what's the problem? Whatever she's thinking falls underneath the umbrella of everything. Like it literally cannot go wrong. Ladies, does that work? No. No. Now men, even though we just heard the ladies say it doesn't work, we're gonna try it again tomorrow, okay? I'm just telling you, it doesn't work. The reason it doesn't work is because of a word called empathy. It doesn't work because we're not just supposed to say sorry, we are supposed to be sorry. And this is what empathy is. Empathy is, the, is to identify and understand the other person's emotions. That's what empathy is. So when we say this blanket, I'm sorry for everything, just to try to end an argument, we're not empathizing with the other person. So we can't have reconciliation. This is why we need to empathize. This is what the apostle Paul is talking about in Romans 12, 15. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. What's he saying? He says, empathize with people. When they're celebrating, understand their emotions and join them. And when people are are mourning, understand what they're going through and join them. That's what it means to have empathy. I love what G.K. Chesterton says, says a stiff apology is a second insult. The injured party does not want to be compensated because he has been wronged. He wants to be healed because he has been hurt. And that's what a stiff apology. That's what a half-hearted apology does. When it lacks empathy, 
It's like, man, that just stings even worse. We're not just checking a box. I want you to understand what I'm going through and why I'm going through it, how you've hurt me. Another way of saying it would be to take extreme ownership of your actions. I saw this play out brilliantly in 2014. Maybe you've seen this and remember it as well. In 2014, the, the pizza giant, Domino's Pizza, they did an ad campaign. This is a true, real story. They did an ad campaign where the entire campaign was, we stink. And that's like the PG version of it. Like that's their entire message. They made commercials, billboards, everything, letting everybody know how horrible they were. The thing is, they didn't need to let everybody know. Everybody already knew how horrible they were. They were just agreeing with everybody. So they literally came up with this campaign and said, we stink, we know, we've, we've heard you, we know that our pizzas aren't good. We hear that you think they taste like cardboard, that you don't like the toppings. We hear everything. So we stink, give us some feedback how we can do better. You would think with somebody doing an ad campaign saying we stink, that their, their profits would, would tumble. You, you would think that they would probably close shop. But the third quarter of 2014, their profits soared 16%. As a matter of fact, uh, their stocks went up 30% that year. And 2014, 2015, they ended up becoming the hottest pizza chain in the entire world. How is that possible? Because they had extreme ownership. They raised their hand and said, hey, we're, we haven't arrived. We understand we got to do better. And, and, and so by raising their hands, it actually attracted people to them. When we take ownership and have humility, it actually invites people to us. It's when we don't take ownership that people are repelled by that. I want to introduce you. This is a guy named Jocko Willink. With a name like Jocko and a mug like that, <laughs> he was created for one thing. He, he's a retired Navy SEAL. That's about all he could do with that combination, okay? So clearly he looks like a Navy SEAL, like he is every bit of a retired Navy SEAL. And when he retired, he really got into the leadership space and wrote some leadership books. And he takes everything he learned in the military and, and goes around to corporations teaching leadership skills from that. And his very first book that he ended up introducing with this leadership skill is called Extreme Ownership. And this is what this idea, I've been trying to study extreme ownership for a while, made me read the book. And I just want to share a couple of things about him. He was on task unit bruiser, which just sounds like a pretty legit task unit. Uh, and he served during Operation Iraqi Freedom. And on one mission, he was working with the local Iraqis to, to solve a problem with some terrorists. And it was in the most difficult way possible. It was in urban warfare. And so there was just everything that goes on with that. And then not only was it difficult, he says that the worst thing that you could do in combat happened. It was called a blue on blue. It's where somebody either killed or wounded one of their own. Clearly disappointed, clearly the worst thing that could go on. And I want to read to you how, how this kind of transpired. This is what he said in his book. The list of mistakes was substantial. I assembled a list of everything that everyone had done wrong. I stood before the group. And I asked, whose fault was this? After a few moments of silence, the SEAL who had mistakenly engaged the fellow Iraqi soldier spoke up. It was my fault. I should have positively identified my target. No, I responded, it wasn't your fault. Whose fault was it? I asked the group again. It was my fault, said the radio man from the sniper element. I should have passed, our position, passed on our position sooner. 
wrong. I responded, it wasn't your fault. Whose fault was it? I asked again. It was my fault, said another SEAL who was a combat advisor with the Iraqi army clearance team. I should have controlled the Iraqis and made sure they stayed in their sector. Negative, I said, you are not to blame. More of my SEALs were ready to explain what they had done wrong and how it could contributed to their failure. But I heard enough. You know whose fault it is? You know who gets all the blame for this? The entire group sat there in silence, including the CO, the CMC, and the investigating officer. No doubt they were wondering whom I would hold responsible. Finally, I took a deep breath and I said, there's only one person to blame for this. It's me. I'm the commander. I'm responsible for the entire operation. As a senior man, I'm responsible for every action that takes place on the battlefield. There is no one to blame but me. And I'll tell you this right now, I'll make sure that nothing like this ever happens to us ever again. What if we took less credit when things went right and took more responsibility when things went wrong? You might be thinking, well, listen, I'm never going to be a, a, you know, a Navy SEAL leading troops. No, but I think you actually have a more important mission, leading your kids, leading your spouse, leading your office or your neighborhood or your friends or family. That's a really important role. And, and what Jocko's trying to tell us, it starts with extreme ownership, saying, hey, listen, that's my bad. Even if you're so far removed saying, I've created the culture that allowed that, that's my bad. I need to get in the bottom of this and solve that. And what would it look like if we took extreme ownership? You see, the psalmist agreed in Psalm 38, 18. says, I confess my iniquity and I'm troubled by my sin. Wasn't making an excuse to just raise a hand. Hey, I have sin and it's troubling me. So here's three quick things I want to encourage us to look at. Be humble enough to know you're not perfect. Most of us would say, check, like I get that. But then be wise enough to know that your imperfections cause pain. And because this is hard for us to handle mentally or emotionally, we, we tend to skip over this. We want to minimize this. But the truth is, if we're not perfect, we need to understand our imperfections cause pain and then be mature enough to make your wrongs right. So we need to understand, not only do we need to be humble enough to know that we have imperfections, but our imperfections cause pain. And then we need to have the maturity to make our wrongs right. And that's what God's calling us to do. I love what Benjamin Franklin said. He said, never ruin an apology with an excuse. Isn't that good? So here's what we do. Men, women, I'm sorry. And then just put a period. Some of us is I'm sorry with a comma. I'm sorry, but I'm sorry. And, and listen, some of us, we just love to talk. I, I love to talk. So I'll, I'll say, I'm sorry. And that's the beginning of chapter one. Like, I'm just, I'm li- like, listen, sit down, honey. I got a story to tell. Okay. And it's like, no, no, no. I'm sorry. Period. And I don't care if you have to run out the door to the neighbors, you go somewhere as far as you can. You just say, you're sorry. Don't ruin an apology with an explanation. I'm sorry, but if you just would have done, 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 done. No, no, no. Just, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know I hurt you. And I'm sorry. Take extreme ownership. Apologies aren't meant to change the past. You can't. But they are meant to change the future. And you can. And I love that. So that's the first thing is we need to be sorry. Not say sorry, but to embrace empathy and be sorry. Knowing that we hurt people just because we're human. We don't mean to. We just, we're human. But then there's the other side of the coin. What happens when other people hurt us? What happens when other people disappoint us? What happens when people don't keep their word and we're left hurt? 
or sore or bent out of shape? How do we respond to that person? The easy answer is this, we just forgive them. Like we all know that we could say that, but it's a lot harder to actually do it. And so I don't wanna walk through a couple of things to kind of help maybe make this process a little easier. One of the things that we need to do is understand that every single person that we meet, almost every person that you meet, you are meeting them with some type of baggage experience in history that you don't know anything about. Someone said, it's like when you meet somebody, it's like reading a book, but you're starting on page 132, right? Like there's stuff that we don't know about people and how they react or act. We have no idea about. And that's why empathy is so important. That's what it plays a role in. I want to introduce to you somebody that's had an impact on my life. I'm not going to say good or bad. It's my dog, Kirby. Kirby's looking at me like this because we have a failure to communicate, okay? Kirby is a rescue dog, okay? We've had Kirby for a long time. He's a good dog, um, really, really good dog. He goes to the bathroom outside. If it sounds like I'm advertising him, I am. If you want Kirby, we can talk about this after the service. I'm just, kid- I'm just kidding, we love Kirby. Just kidding, just kidding. We love dogs, okay? Everybody calm down, okay? Kirby's a great dog, but he's a rescue. He's a rescue which means we got him with a history we didn't know anything about. And so when we got him and we started playing around the house, not just with him, but just with each other, anytime, I don't know what happened in his life, I really wanna know, but anytime that I just do this, anytime you bring out uh, fingers that look like guns, he freaks out, like freaks out. Anytime Anytime we bring out Nerf guns and just shoot each other, we don't even have to shoot each other, just point them at each other, he loses his mind. Okay, I can't even shoot a real gun inside my living room. What is that about? Like, seriously, that's un-American, okay? So like, if somebody breaks into my house, I don't even have to pull out a gun. I just do this and Kirby goes crazy. Why? Because he has a past that we know nothing about. And I can't just yell at him. I can't just say, stop going crazy or stop barking. What I need to do is have empathy and understand he has a history. He has a past. Now, how do I work with that? And every single person that you hurt or hurts you, they have a past you don't know anything about. And everybody reacts differently to the pain they've experienced. Everybody. And so instead of yelling at them and saying you're reacting the wrong way, how do we just be more fluid and understand how people are reacting and why they are? It doesn't justify their actions. It just helps humanize them a little bit. Does that make sense? Beginning of the century, there was a new, really cool new library that opened up in Copenhagen, Denmark. Okay, this is, this is the name of it. Okay, let's all say it together on the count of three. One, two, three. Three. I can't hear y'all. <laughs> we actually have a, a couple from Denmark uh, over here, my people. I have no idea. I'll give it a shot. Mission of the tech deck, okay? So there we go. That was close, a little bit, okay? What it means is human library. That's what that means. So instead of checking out a book for education, you check out a person. And some of you are like, I think that's illegal. Like, you can't do that. That's not what I mean, like that. They intentionally have different people from different walks of life and you check out a book for education, but instead of a book, you check out a human for the same thing, for education. And so what you do is you would go and check out somebody that has served in the military and they would tell their story and then you get to ask them any question you want. You you, you can check out a homeless 
person and find out a little bit about their story and their pain and what they're going through and then ask them any question. You could check out somebody with bipolar or different other uh, situations that people are going through and experiencing the impact that that has on them. You could check out successful people and understand how they got to where they're at. But I love the idea that it's like, hey, we just want to learn from me because what they're doing is they're trying to understand this idea of empathy, that when you hear somebody's story, it changes how you look at them. As a matter of fact, this is the motto of the library, unjudge someone. Isn't that good? You see, when we get to know people, it humanizes them. And here's what happens when people hurt us. Can I tell you the temptation that we have, all of us? When somebody hurts us, we don't want to humanize them. We want to dehumanize them. Because it's easier to hate them, it's easier to justify your negative emotions if you dehumanize that person. And if that doesn't work, what we do is we bring other people to join us. And we tell them, we don't tell them we would never say anything good about this person to this group of people. We only tell them all the horrific things about this person in hopes that they would join us in dehumanizing that person. So now, and it doesn't solve anything, it just makes you feel better about why you don't like them. The only problem with that is everything about Jesus. Everything. He says, no, no. We need to humanize people. Like that's the whole point of him coming down. That's the whole point of a cross and an empty tomb. He says we are to humanize people. Why? Because forgiven people forgive people. The times that I am challenged to forgive others is always the time that I've forgotten how much forgiveness God has given me. And so the way that we get a little bit kind of a, the secret sauce to this would be to consistently ask God for forgiveness, consistently repent and consistently remember how much we've been forgiven. And then it flows a lot easier. This is one of the reasons why we do uh, the Lord's Supper or communion every week to remember how much he's forgiven us and the, the cost in which that took. And he says, just like I've forgiven you, extend that same forgiveness. Jesus teaches this us in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. It says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Just a couple verses later, he says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive other sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Some of us may not have never known that verse. That's a powerful statement. That the forgiveness flows up and down as much as it does horizontally. It's a person named Corey Tenboom. Tragically, Corey found herself in a Nazi concentration camp because her family was hiding Jews to protect them. And so she finds herself in this place and this is where she lost her father and her sister. Not only did she lose people, just the horrific trauma of going through everything that she went through. Fortunately, she was able to survive it and come out Several years after escaping or being freed from the camp, she made it a point to go back to Germany to preach the hope, the love, and the grace of Jesus. And so as she went, she was going place to place, just preaching the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And one time she preached, just like she always does with the hope and the love, and she got off the, the platform and was talking mainland people, and, and someone approached her, and he said, uh, it was a fine message, ma'am. 
and she immediately knew exactly who this person was. She identified him not just as one of the guards in that concentration camp, but as one in her memory, the most ruthless of all the guards. And then he stuck out his hand and said, would you please forgive me? And this is her response. She said, I whose sin had been forgiven again and again and again could not forgive. She said forgiving him was the most difficult thing she'd ever have to do. But she knew she had to do it. She reached out to grab his hand and when she did, something miraculous happened. She said the current started in her shoulder, raced down my arm, she says. It sprang into our joined hands and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes And I said, I forgive you, brother, with all of my heart. I had never known God's love more intensely as I did in that very moment. Listen, it would have been so easy. We all would have probably agreed, hey, you don't, you don't, like, that's too much. You don't need to do that. But because she did, it reminds me of the classic line from Lewis Smead. When we forgive, we set a prisoner free and then discover that that prisoner we set free was us. Listen, you can forgive the people that hurt you or not. But one, you got to answer to God. And two, it's going to set you free, not just them. It's going to set you free. Jesus didn't die on a cross so that you can be enslaved to this pain day and day and day. And I understand Many of you have some serious pain. I'm not minimizing that. I think it's safe to say she had serious pain, but it was in her forgiveness that she found a deeper level of God's love that she had never known before. So I want to close with two illustrations. First one is this. It's this cross. You see, anytime that you and I, we mess up, there's really two kind of areas that we need to Address. The first one is with God. When we mess up, we, we sin against God and we need to say, God, would you please forgive me? And what God does is he gives forgiveness. That's what our vertical relationship, our vertical repentance does is it, it gives us forgiveness. But then there's still something missing. We need to actually do it horizontally. And when we get right with people horizontally, we receive healing. And so when we repent to God, we get forgiven. But when we repent to each other, we get healing. That's what James 5, 16 says. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. First week of this series, Speak Life, we were talking about this idea of the words we speak can either hurt or heal. And we had a, a guy visiting, first time, sharp businessman, never been here. He's from out of town. He was in town for something. He he showed up and after the service, he came up and was just so kind and hey, gracious, loved the service, loved you, loved everything. And then he went away and then he came back five minutes later, but this time um, with a different countenance. This time he had a teary eyes and he wanted to confess something and talk and get some help. I said, how can I help you? He said, well, he said, just about a week or two ago, I was, I was gossiping about somebody. I said something about somebody. I, I immediately regretted and knew I shouldn't have done it. And I don't know what to do because I went and I asked God for forgiveness, but I still feel this weight 
inside of me and I don't know what to do. And so I unpacked it. I said, I said, that's exactly right. Like God has forgiven you. But until you go and repent to the person that you are with, you can't receive that healing. He said, so what do I do? I said, go to the person that you were gossiping with and just say, hey, listen, I, this is what I did. I never should have said those words. I never should have had that thought. That's not who I am. That's not who God calls me to be. Would you please forgive me? I deserve an, or you deserve better and a friend from me than have somebody gossip. Would you please forgive me? I said, they, you, you can't control their reaction. You can't. But when you repent with God and then with each other, you have done everything you can to be at peace. And that's what God calls us to do over and over in the New Testament. Do everything in your power to live at peace with everybody. Their power, they're gonna have to get accountability from God, but that's you. And this person did, I, I don't know. I haven't heard back, but maybe you find yourself in the same situation. Get right with God and then get right with others. And some of you are like, man, but it's been like five weeks, five months, five years, five decades. What do I do? If somebody hurt me five years ago and they came up to me full of humility and was like, hey, listen, I'm a changed person. God's gotten a hold of my life. Like the, what I did or what I said to you, I'm so sorry. Would you please forgive me? I'd be like, no, it's been five years. Joker, get out of here. Now, I'm not saying everybody's going to give you, you know, a Hollywood ending, but don't let the lies of the enemy say that too much time has gone by or you don't understand my situation. Listen, I'm just telling you what I know. The people that have done it have received far more than whatever they've given. That's all I'm saying. And I want you to live the John 10 kind of life he's promised to live life to the full. Here's the second illustration I want to give you. Some of y'all are like, what is that? Okay. I didn't, I didn't, I had no idea what this was. And um, just this week, a friend of mine, um, I kind of patted him on the shoulder. I said, hey man, how you doing? And he said, ah. And he had this tattooed on his arm. And I was like, my man, what, what you got? What is that? And he began to unpack it. And he said, sometimes I'm the archer. I shoot arrows at people. And sometimes I'm the target. People shoot arrows at me. But I should always be the restorer. Meaning this, whether I shoot arrows or whether I'm being shot at, it doesn't change my job description. I am to restore relationships. And I thought that was beautiful. So on Wednesday, I went to the tattoo parlor and I got it on my back. Check this out. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Y'all are like, you're too much of a wuss. You would never do that. Isn't that good? Sometimes I'm the archer and sometimes I'm the target, but I should always be the restorer. Why? Because over Thanksgiving, the goal is not to win an argument. It's to win a relationship. That's the goal. And as we go into our quiz this Thursday, maybe you're celebrating Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, as you gather with friends and family, I want to encourage you. You may be right about whatever stance you have. But make it a goal that you're not trying to be right with a point, but you want to get right with a person. And that's how we revive and redeem the holidays through Jesus. 
And so we're not just gonna dismiss. I wanna pray you into this week. I wanna almost give you a benediction that we go in the name of Jesus, not just with the feet and the heart and the mind, but with the words and the lips and the mouth, that we go and we speak life, that we ask for forgiveness and take responsibility, or when somebody comes to us, we give forgiveness. And we don't just say it, we mean it. And may we go and may we speak life. Amen, church? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you. As I think about all the knucklehead things I've ever done, I feel like I have a PhD in apologizing. And God, there's probably some people here that can relate to myself. And God, we don't know what we would do without a bloody cross and an empty tomb. And so we first say thank you Thank you for speaking life to us. Thank you for for putting the weight of our guilt and our shame on your shoulders on that cross and forgiving us. And would we never forget the weight of the cross? Would we never forget how much we have been forgiven? And may we take that and give it to those that have hurt us. May we extend, may we steward forgiveness to others. And God, whether we are the ones shooting arrows or the ones being shot at, would you help us this holiday season to always be the restorer? And God, I pray for divine appointments to align this week, that people would not win arguments, but they would win relationships in the name of Jesus. And so God, we don't go, we're not dismissed. We are being sent by the name and the power of Jesus for reconciliation around tables and in living rooms. So God, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the weekly podcast from Journey Christian Church. If this message was a blessing to you, be sure to click the follow button and share it with your family and friends. For more information about Journey Christian Church, please go to journeychristian.com.